Today's episode of Found Down is brought to you by Unwound Retreats. Unwound Retreats offers fun events and travel experiences for nurses locally and internationally. Founded by me, Nicole Johnson, ICU nurse and host of the Found Down podcast, I provide opportunities for nurses to practice self-care, learn, and travel together. These last two years have been brutal in healthcare, and why not give yourself the gift to unwind, learn, and grow? Previous guests have loved the experiences, especially because you can just show up and know that everything will be taken care of. Unwound Retreats is offering exciting and luxurious retreats in Morocco and Mexico. Go over to unwoundretreats.com and sign up to get on the email list so you can find out more. Hey, you guys, this is Nicole. I just want to say this episode that you're about to hear is insane. It's insane. I'm so excited about it. And I'm so grateful for the guest, Gerard Cook, who came on the show. And you won't be disappointed. That's all I wanted to say. It's an epic story of heroism and perseverance. So you enjoy it. Welcome to the Found Down Podcast. This is a podcast of untold nursing stories that are sometimes hilarious, dark, insane, and anything in between. As a warning, this show is rated E and is mature in content. It often deals with the reality of life and death and how we as nurses intersect with that on a regular basis. If we laugh, it's not out of disrespect. We love what we do and have every intention of continuing to do so. With that, enjoy the show. Well, hello and welcome to the Found Down Podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Johnson. And today I'm so excited because I have one of my favorite people, Gerard Cook, on the show with us. He is a he was a naval medic for 12 years. Is that right, Gerard? 14. 14. Okay. For 14 years and is um, currently working as a patient care tech in an ICU and has a path of He's on the route to being a nurse, but so today we're going to talk about his time as a naval medic, what that was like, what was hard, what was good, and we may even talk about what it's been like for him because he has been working, definitely worked in the COVID ICU, and um, and it still is in contact with COVID patients. So anyway, how are you doing today? I'm I'm actually doing really well. Um, it, it started as an early morning uh, with, for me. I I got up. Um, probably about five this morning. And I actually went on a dive with one of the other nurses uh, <gasps> early this jam? morning. And uh, we went out looking for some octopus and stuff like that out in the Puget Sound. Uh, we found a couple, which was nice, uh, but it was, it was nice being out on, a, on an early morning dive. So my day's gotten started. I'm, I'm kind of got that high going right now. That's incredible. Was that with Jim? I can neither confirm nor deny. <laughs> well, that's, but what yeah, a, it was. <laughs> what an amazing way to start your morning. I can't even believe it. And kudos to you because the you're talking about the sound, the Puget Sound, which is cold. It's yeah. cold water. We are here in the Pacific Northwest. Yes. Cold. That's so yes, cool. I think uh, the, my temperature gauge today said that the water temperature was um, 55 And then once we dove down past 100 feet, I think the temperature was right below 50. Oh, my gosh. Well, this is probably, I mean, so you you were in the Navy. So this is, is this like part of like what, this is in your blood, right? 
<laughs> um, almost, um, almost. So, um, to be technical with it, um, I was a helicopter or I was a air crew, um, search and rescue swimmer. So what that basically meant was, um, air crew, anybody that flies. So I was a part of uh, Naval special programs. Um, anybody that flies is air crew. Uh, I was a search and rescue swimmer. So I specifically, um, my platform was helicopters. Um, so with that part being said, um, our main, mission was search and rescue. So we would do anything from search and rescue on board aircraft carrier to small ships, um, to being land-based. So coming from the land and going out to sea and looking for people, um, particularly for my background, um, I was carrier based. So, um, we were the first to take off from the aircraft carrier and we were the last to land. We were the aerial support for all of the flight operations. Uh, so all the jets taking off and landing all that, uh, as well as just people up on deck doing things. We were there essentially lifeline. Um, so our primary mission was search and rescue. Um, during my time in because I was attached also to the aircraft carrier, we also did something called um, ASW, which is anti-submarine warfare. So we were also the last line of defense for the carrier in hunting submarines. Oh my um, gosh. Now, normally what, you know, the Navy, the Navy has gotten really big into technology and they've downsized some things. So we didn't necessarily do as much of the hunting submarines. We usually had a smaller ship that stayed close to us, or we would just have one of our own subs stay somewhere in the area of the aircraft carrier. Um, because, uh, in naval power, the aircraft carrier is the heart of the whole battle group. Uh, mm. And when we're moving out to fight or just be show presence, um, the biggest threat um, to us would be another submarine. So we would either have another submarine with us or a smaller ship that would be there to kind of look and search underwater. And therefore we would then take care of all of the, um, the search and rescue kind of thing for the actual flight operations. Wow. So you were so not that only was that, but majority of us were, go ahead. No, I was going to say, so obviously you, so you, so you would search and rescue for subs other, you'd be like on the lookout for subs. Is that right? And then also, but for most of the time where you looking when you were, you were looking for people, right. Or when you are in search and rescue or no. And I can edit out whatever I, whatever. Our, our main job, um, our main job was search and rescue for, uh, people. Uh, so essentially on an aircraft carrier, we are a moving airport. Uh, so you got jets and airplanes that are taking off and landing. Well, it's one of the most dangerous jobs to have working on the deck of an aircraft carrier in the world. So sometimes accidents do happen. Mm. Um, so our main job in that aspect was to, uh, be there as a life flight in the event lifeline in the event that somebody went off into the water. Majority of the time it was in the event that one of the jets either 
couldn't quite make it back onto the deck mm-hmm. or as they were taken off, uh, didn't quite make it into the air. So I would be the guy in the back dressed out in the wetsuit and everything. And I'd jump into the water to, to get them. As far as the, the submarines, it was more so, um, hunting them versus being search and rescue for them. Okay. Got it. So, um, okay. So I cannot believe that though. I'm just going to go back to talking about people. Um, and, um, you, gosh, how many times have you had to jump in the water to go rescue people who've (laughs) gone? (laughs) I mean, I've probably countless, right? So, uh, I actually, I actually did it one time, um, uh, to, to essentially break it down. Um, we were, I was stationed in Japan. We had just gotten, um, we were losing the, the top jet at the time, which was the F-14. Uh, it's the one that you see in Top Gun, (laughs) the original Top Gun. Um, we were losing that jet and we were getting a new jet. Um, this new jet is, um, the, it, it, we had the best of the electronics, all that. Um, well, when we got those guys, um, they would come in and land a little bit hotter, faster, harder than most of the other aircraft that were coming in. So it happened to be a January in 2015. <sighs> no, 2006, 2006. Uh, wait, no, 2005. There we go. So it's January, 2005. We're in the Pacific. So we're off the coast of Japan, uh, January. So it's winter time. Um, I remember specifics of it being cold because our essentially, um, our, uh, doctrine state that if the air temperature was below 60 degrees and or the water temperature was below 50 degrees, everyone flying, including the pilots up front, had to be in a dry suit. Okay. So during this time, everyone was flying around in a dry suit. And essentially, um, the brand new jets, brand new squadron, they came in and they were doing their landings and takeoffs. The Particularly this pilot, he did his first landing during the day, perfectly fine. Now it's at nighttime. He's coming in to do his next landing. And they state that in the Navy, pilots can, fighter pilots can fly over land, be shot at, have missiles coming up at them, heart rate's perfectly fine. But it's the night landing when they're coming in, Mm. the heart rate is through the roof. That's when the stress is really on because you're essentially you're moving to land onto something that is moving itself, particularly your runway or your target is, is moving itself. Um, so these guys came in to land, they caught, so there's four wires that line up the back of the aircraft carrier mm-hmm. They caught the wire like they're supposed to, it stretched all the way out and then the wire snapped. Oh my gosh. So the, Pilot and his co and his and his backseat guy, they essentially kept going and they rolled off the front of the carrier. They actually punched out. Um, and in the Super Hornet, when 
the uh, when the guys eject or when the, the people eject, essentially when with the two seater, what happens is your first explosion is the canopy comes off. Mm-hmm. Second explosion is the rocket underneath the pilot. So he goes up and left the backseat oh. guy, his rocket goes and he goes up and right or it's vice versa. But anyways, they, they they sit on a set of rockets that thrust them out of the aircraft and then they get up to a certain altitude and the sensors on their seat will notice when there's no more, uh, movement going up, mm-hmm. there's essentially like, um, a 12 gauge shotgun explosion that goes off that blows them away from the seat wow. and it pulls their parachute out. Oh my gosh. So now the parachutes out, the seat's been now pulled away from them. Um, and they're falling down to either the ground or into the water. In this sentence, this instance, it was into the water. So as soon as they hit the water, the next thing that happens is there's some um, tablets that activate to salt water. So they dissolve in salt water. And when they dissolve, they now allow two wires to connect, which causes another explosion, which we, we call them CADs, cartridge-activated mm-hmm. device. That would pop, and that would then cause the his chest um, vest it would cause that to inflate. And then now he's surfacing. And then the other CAD that's attached to his parachute, the riser of his parachute, those would explode off. And so that would blow the parachute away from him. So all of this whole situation can happen and the pilot can be completely unconscious, knocked out unconscious, yeah. which sometimes it does, it does happen. Um, in, the, in our particular instance for mine, it didn't happen. They weren't knocked out, um, but it all went one, two, three, four. With the exception of the pilot, when he landed in the water, he landed literally right next to the carrier as the carrier oh was moving. And what happened was one of his his risers, it didn't quite act um, – Probably it didn't hit salt water, so it didn't explode off. So he was still attached to the parachute, and he was mm-hmm. literally being drugged along the side of the aircraft carrier. And then as it got to the back, with any type of big ship, there's always an undertow. So his parachute oh drug took him, took under, went under, which then took him under. Um, he said that he still had his oxygen mask on. Mm-hmm. And he's getting uh, oxygen from his seat pan so he could still breathe. So he was able to reach up and disconnect it himself. And of course, now, you know, his inflation is already open. So he came up to the surface. Um, so we had two helicopters airborne. We were the first helicopter to get on scene. Um, and literally, because this had just happened, it was pitch black at night. Um, everybody on board the ship, including the the smaller ship that was following us, they all threw these markers off into the water, which have a probably around about a six to one foot flame that shoots out of them. And we use those to mark areas. Um, and it has a flame and it has a smoke. We like the smoke because then it tells the helicopters, which say the wind is so we can come into a hover and, there were so many of them out there that it literally looked like a debris field. So the pilot up front, uh, which was also my commanding officer, he was like, okay, I can't see what's going on, but we're basically, we're going to go from one smoke to the next until we find these guys. Now I'm in the back. I didn't quite hear what all was going on because I'd already taken my helmet off and I'm getting the rest of my stuff on. Um, but all of a sudden the, senior crewman uh that was 
going to be the hoist operator for me. Um, he's throwing all these things at me that now I need to put on. And I'm kind of thinking to myself, this isn't happening. Um, I'm not going into the water. And then before I know it, he opens the door and he looks at me and I've got everything sitting there because I've been trained to do it, but yeah. I've still, it hasn't quite hit my head that I, I'm actually going to go into the water after someone. It's six o'clock in the winter time. We're out in the middle of the Pacific off the, well, uh, we're in the middle of the Japanese sea. This is for real. And so he looks at me and he yells, are you ready? And oh I thought, no, but my head went, yes. He hooked me up and sent me out the door and sent me down. In the Navy, we don't jump in the water at night. We get lowered down from 70 feet. Um, so I'm going down and now I'm like, okay, I got to look for this guy. I, I, I got, I, I, and as I'm thinking all of this, I see him off to the side, kind of like off to my right. I get in the water. I disconnect from the hook. I give him my thumbs up that I'm okay. And I beelined it for him. Now, when this was all said and done, the pi both the pilot and the backseat guy had this, uh, thank you to be a live party at our base club, they open it up free bar for yeah. like a couple of hours. So he's telling the story. His version of the story says, stated that all of a sudden this guy was like Jesus and he was walking across the water because he was <laughs> swimming so fast towards me. So I get over to him and again, the, you know, instincts go first. So I didn't actually see him. What I saw was his parachute. Mm -hmm. So I went straight for that because that was what I was trained to do. So I went and I'm grabbing parachute and I'm pulling all of this parachute up to me because I'm looking for the risers that connect to a pilot. Yeah. And I was expecting him to be underwater. So I pull all this parachute up and then now I have two risers in my hand, but no pilot attached. And... I was like, I, what do I do? And I just, I dropped him and I looked up at the helicopter, like, what do I do next? Where is this guy? And he was just like three or four feet off to my right, just sitting there as, as if it's, you know, we're in a hot tub and <laughs> it just like happened to be, he turned his head and I saw the reflection off of his helmet. Yes. Saw the reflection off his helmet. So I swam straight over to him and you know, all of the training was just like, sir, I'm a rescue swimmer. I'm here to help. Do you have any injuries? Blah, blah. And I just spew all this stuff at him. And he just looks at me. He's like, nah, dude, I'm, I'm good. I'm in a dry suit. I can be here all day. And I'm like, this guy's more calm than I am. And I'm supposed to be the rescuer. <laughs> I've got to, I got to take a chill pill. Okay. All right. All right, let's do this. And he's like, what do we need to do? And I'm like, okay. Um, all right. Uh, I got to get that seat pan off of you. So then he's just like, all right, done. What's next? I'm like, I was supposed to do that. Um, <laughs> shoot. I don't know. And I, I thought I was thinking that, but I actually said that. So then he's sitting there like, what do you mean by it? you don't know what to do? Like, no, hold on. Um, okay. And before I knew it, I just, 
it just, you know, muscle memory kicks in and I start going over all the checks and checking and make sure that he doesn't have anything else on him and looking to make sure there's no shroud lines, all that. And I told him, you know, I'm going to go down and I'm going to check your feet, make sure you have no lines on it. When you feel me get to your toes, I need you to wiggle, wiggle your toes. The thing about it is he ejected. So the first thing that I'm supposed to do is I'm supposed to suspect spinal injury immediately. Oh, yeah. Which means he's going to go into a litter. Um, they state that when a pilot ejects, they can lose up to an inch to two inches of height because of the compression on their spine from ejecting out of uh, an aircraft. So pilots get up to two. Your first one is, okay, you ejected. After your second ejection, you're no longer a, a, a pilot in the ejection seat. I don't even know if they even wow. keep you as a pilot. But if you eject after the second one, you're no longer flying. I had no idea how so high he, stakes that was. I, I do all of that. I check over his feet. Nothing. All right, good. Okay. Um, all right. I need to get you up to the helicopter. You ejected. I got to get you into a litter. So I give the hand signal to the helicopter that I need a litter. That's now, the basket I'm wearing, thing, right? No, it's, it's literally, it looks like a, it looks like a backboard, but it has floaties all over. So it'll, it'll actually float in the water. Okay. Um, and so we, we put that into the water with us and then we strap them onto it and then we lift them horizontal up to the aircraft. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm in all black. It's pitch black at night. The only light that I have on is on my mask. There's a chem light, one of those chemical lights that you can break. Mm -hmm. It's sitting right there on my mask. That's the only light that I have on. So I give the signal that I need the litter. Nothing happens, but I got a radio. So I call over the radio. I need the litter. Well, we have two radios, two radio channels on board the helicopter. Uh, my commanding officer, again, he used the number one radio to talk to the ship, mm -hmm. to tell them what was going on. The second radio, he was coordinating with the second helicopter to go in and pick up the pilot. I was picking up the backseat guy. So, None of them heard my radio call that I need a litter. I can see the helicopter. It's oh still gosh. sitting there. It's not doing anything. <gasps> so I'm now starting to panic again. It's cold out. I remember it being cold because I'm in a dry seat, but I don't remember feeling cold. <laughs> so I looked at the pilot Again, and this, he wasn't a junior pilot, or I looked at my officer that I'm, I'm rescuing. He wasn't, um, he was a naval flight officer. He wasn't the pilot. He's a backseat guy, but he's also, he outranks me by mm -hmm. a lot. He wasn't a junior guy. And I, <laughs> I literally looked at him and I was like, look, um, okay. They're not, they're not answering me and I need to get you out of this water. Cause I know that it's cold. So, and I, I was like, I need you to give me a no shit exam uh, i need i need an uh, a clear thought from you right now because what i'm about to do if you're jacked up i'm really going to jack you up even more and your back's going to be broken so no kidding do you have any type of injuries on your legs anything like that can you feel them he's like yeah 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 man i i can feel them. I'm like all right we're going and i literally hooked into him and i started swimming for the helicopter now the the helicopter, it, you know, again, it's still into a hover, um, and it has a spot literally underneath basically the bottom of it where it's basically the eye of the storm. 
Yeah. And that's where the hook is going to go down when they lower it. So mm-hmm. that's what I'm aiming for. I can see it. So I've got to swim through all of this rotor wash, which literally feels like you're in a, a hurricane type weather. It's the winds and the spray, it's hitting you. It's, it's a lot. Um, I'm swimming through that. And now that I think, when I think, when I, after the fact, when I think about it, I didn't actually hold on to him. I just took off swimming. So I'm like dragging him underwater too, as we're going. Cause all I could think is get to the helicopter, get him out. So we get over to the helicopter. They see that I'm coming. They lower the hook down. I connect into my lifting harness, which has a separate strap that then goes and connects into his. So now we can go all together as Safely. one unit. Um, yeah, I give the signal ready to be ready to come up. We come up, we go into the helicopter. So that's the first stage of search and rescue. Second stage is once they're in the helicopter, myself and the crew chief, we're both trained as EMT basics. Mm -hmm. Um, some of us actually get to even go through the school. Uh, so now we go through your primary and your secondary stage. You're, you're looking, you you know, you're doing, you know, ABCs, you're doing your blood sweep, all of that kind of stuff. We get him up. He's talking. I can visually see there's no blood or anything like that. So I get him over to the side and then now it's like, okay, we're going to head back to the helicopter or we're going to head back to the, the carrier. carrier. Yeah. Yeah. The aircraft carrier. So we get back and usually at times like this, when there's been like a rescue and someone's been picked up, because a lot of times what happens is someone gets blown off the side of the ship because there's jets, you know, with their afterburner going to try to take off, people get blown off or people are walking over in an area, not necessarily paying attention and they fall off. So usually what happens is the helicopter comes over and lands. There's usually a crowd of people. We're slapping hands. Yeah. Yeah. Good job. Get the person inside. We send them down to medical. Summer has to go down to medical too to make sure that there's nothing wrong with us. You know, that we didn't get, we're not, you know, don't have jellyfish underneath our wetsuit or anything. Oh we God. land on the carrier and it's, com- yeah, it, 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 I'm pretty sure it's happened. We land on board the carrier and it's completely quiet. Another thing about an aircraft carrier is at night, they usually have all of our lights off or we'll put certain lights on to make us look like a different type of ship because we don't want people to know where we are. Yeah. All the lights were on, literally. So it was very bright out and it was completely quiet on the deck. There were no other aircraft turning. People were lined up in certain ways, uh, standing off to the side. There was no one coming over to slap hands. So I was kind of like, what just happened? What's wrong? So they're like, you guys need to go and get on the elevator and head immediately down to medical. So I walk with them over, we get down into the hangar bay and I notice that we're at general quarters, which is usually like something bad has happened. People at certain stations. So you have your litter carriers, you've got your medical, their stations are set up. Um, they're, they're counting people, making sure no one else is still in the water. No one else went over into the water. And I'm just like, what happened? Like, just get down to medical, just get down to medical. So I get him and myself down to medical. He goes off into a certain area because now he has to be triage. The pilot, because he was the backseat guy, he made it down there with us. They have to both go off and get, you know, talk to, they have to get, um, they have to get a blood, blood work done to make sure that, you know, there's no drugs or alcohol in their system at the time. Oh, right. Just this huge thing. Well, come to find out when they came in the land, 
they caught the wire like they're supposed to, but the ship didn't have the wire um, energized in the system that pulls back, that keeps them, Mm -hmm. keeps the jets from uh, going off. And so they literally just caught the wire, pulled it all the way out and it snapped. When it snapped, it's like a rubber band flying across the flight deck. We didn't have all of our, um, go ahead. No, it's, it's, well, I mean, the, the, it's just like a, I mean, what is it? Like some crazy strong metal cable, right? That can probably split somebody in half. Which it did. (gasps) So when it, when it snapped, it flinged, it flung like a rubber band or like a, Oh my God. it. It swung off to the side. Um, and there was, um, there was one of the, Navy guys that was starting up an aircraft. And then there's another guy that was directing aircraft. So the aircraft director, uh, the, when the cable came by, it chopped him off below the knee like that, just like butter took, took the lower leg off completely. Then as it kept whipping back, another guy that was starting an aircraft, it hit him in the knee, in the chest and the head and knocked him around about 20 feet out cold (gasps) now on board an aircraft carrier you have the areas the the landing and then up front you have where we take off from where the jets can take off on the catapults off to the side you have this the what they call the superstructure which is where you know the bridge where they drive the ship uh and right next to that is where we park all the helicopters and other aircraft that aren't leaving just yet well when that wire came around there are people standing over there Mm -hmm. literally it took them out like bowling pins, just knocked them out completely. And one of our helicopters that was chained down with in 12 different points, it literally moved it around about six inches to a foot. So that helicopter literally had to be craned off because now we don't know if there's stress fractures on it yeah. or what, but on the other side of that helicopter was another 30 people. So if that helicopter wouldn't have been there. Who knows what would have happened to those? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we had about, so we flew three people off the ship immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, we turned and we headed back towards Yakuska. We notified the Naval hospital in Yakuska that we just had uh, a flight emergency and, um, mass casualty and we're coming in. Uh, so now the helicopter transitions from search and rescue because we did account. We sent two helicopters back up to make sure no one else was in the water, Yeah, which sometimes it, it has happened. Um, we got a count of everybody on board. So now we transition from search and rescue to now medevac. So now they put those people that were severely injured on board two helicopters and we flew them and it was right three or four people. We flew them back to mainland Japan. The other six that were injured, we took care of on the ship. So it was, um, (laughs) were you, it was, well, I mean, I'm sure that's like a a day you'll never forget. And I cannot even like this story is blowing my mind. I, were you, (laughs) Did you then assist with helping the injured that stayed on the ship or, or were you released from, from that? So essentially, um, 
because I went into the water and I just got done flying, um, they were, I wasn't going to fly again for another eight hours. So we, we, we started making a list of, uh, crewmen that were going to start into a cycle because one thing that I loved about the U S military is, um, no one, no one gets left behind. So like if, you know, one person fell overboard the ship, they would bring in four, five, six other ships. They'd bring in the air force. They'd bring in the Marine Corps to all do this huge search for one person. Oh, wow. And they would, you do it for three, four days until you find them or you get to a point where like, we're not going to find them. Mm-hmm. Sorry. We, we, we have to, we have to call this off. Um, so we were, we had put up, um, who the next crew members that were going to go up in the event that not everyone's accounted for, but everyone was accounted for. So I kind of got released and it was like, all right, just, you know, hang out and until we figure out what's going on. Cause now we got to do the medevacs in, um, we've got another six injured on board. We might have to medevac them in as well. We don't know, but we're going to steam. We're going to turn around and we're going to steam back towards mainland Japan. Uh, and we're going to, we're, we're going to pull back in. We're, we're, we're done for this little at sea trial period. Um, so that again, this happened like around about six o'clock that night. Um, in January, it was, it was January, January 30th or 29th. Uh, 2005. And, um, I didn't go to sleep until six in the morning. Like I was that wired. I mean, in adrenaline going. Yeah. That's all I I'm thinking about. I mean, I feel like I got a jolt of adrenaline just from listening to you tell this story, but (laughs) I mean, you can't, you can't come down from that. You can't. No, no. That's like the most insane thing ever yeah well and it it was it it by far was um and so then the next day they brought um myself the other rescue swimmer that was in the helicopter and the two guys that we rescued uh they brought us up to the bridge and we got to meet the admiral and the captain of the ship and and talking with the admiral um he was, uh, Admiral Kelly at the time, he was a, just a genuine guy. And when it came to us pilots, I want to say, uh, he probably knew every single one of them by name, Mm. literally. Mm. Um, and in each squadron you had probably anywhere from 10 to 40 pilots. And we had eight squadrons on board. And he knew every single one of them by name. Some of them he even knew on a more personal level. And so when we were up talking with him, uh, you know, we're kind of listening to him talk and the ship brought up a photographer that took a picture of us standing there talking to him. So if you ever Google uh, Petty Officer Second Class Gerard Cook, you'll see a picture of me with the other swimmer and the two pilots standing there talking with Admiral Kelly on, on, on the bridge of the uh, USS Kitty Hawk. Dude, um, I'm going to find that picture. <laughs> I want to put it in this in the show notes. I'm going to put it in the show notes. I could actually say, I think I still have it saved on my phone. I'll I'll send it to you, but yeah, you can go. And there's a whole, it's, it's actually done by the Navy times. So the, the Navy times, which is 
like the Navy's version or uh, civilian version of the New York Times, uh, they did a whole article on it. And uh, we kind of got the headline on the front page. So when we pulled back into um, Yakuska, my squadron, we were stationed at Sigi, which is north of that. So I was like, you know what? I wonder if the paper's out and they have, I was expecting just a little small blurb about it. Now, it was like the front page and uh, we had a whole two page story on it. So I went over to the, uh, basically the, the hotel on base, which is called the Navy Lodge. And I wanted to see if they had just any extra newspapers. Uh, so I went up to the front desk and I was like, hey, I just wanted to see if you guys have any extra Navy Times that you're willing to get rid of. I mean, I'll, I'll buy them. And he was already sitting there reading that article. And so he looks at the article, looks back up at me, looks right back down and was like, uh, dude, here, just take a whole stack. <laughs> so he, he gave me a whole stack of the papers. So like I sent one to my mother, um, I sent one to my mother-in-law. Um, I sent uh, a couple to my other friends. Um, and I still, I still have one of the original, but, uh, there's an electronic version of it too. That talks about the whole story. Dude, you're a hero. Oh my God. <laughs> you know what I keep thinking about? It's like, do you, did you ever think you were the lucky to be in the water? that you were like not on the deck of that ship? Yes. I, I, I definitely think that, um, I was blessed in that aspect. We, and, um, you know, the, there being in the military, we have, you know, a lot of, um, traditions, but then there's a lot of like those, uh, um, I don't want to say spooky tales, but like, um, it was always said that only the guys that smoked cigarettes or chewed tobacco were the ones that got rescues because before I showed up, it literally the guys that got the different rescues, they were either smokers or they chewed tobacco. So I had a couple of buddies, they started chewing tobacco. So maybe hopefully I'll be one of the ones that gets a rescue. And, uh, and then mine happened. I'm like, yeah, I don't do either one of them. So eh, that can't be the, that can't be the case. Yeah. But oh my God, that is insane. What an insane story. And I can't even, I don't even, I don't think I can talk about anything else. I'm just like, um, you, there's so many layers and levels to this, to your, this rescue mission and what happened that day. Obviously that will stay with you forever. And it probably, did it change you? that experience? So literally I would have to say yes. And because, uh, so I, again, if you ever Google that picture, um, you'll see the four of us standing there in front of the, uh, Admiral Kelly. Um, it's what Admiral Kelly had said. Uh, he was talking to, uh, essentially I was the smallest guy and I happened to rescue the biggest guy there. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> so Admiral Kelly was talking to each one of the pilots. Uh, he first, he talked to us and, you know, how's it going? How are you feeling? Like, you know, I really didn't sleep last night. He's like, yeah, I don't expect you to sleep for the next couple of days. You're, this is going to be rolling around with you for at least the next couple of days, but you know, congratulations. And you know, he, well, he wouldn't give us a, a pat on the shoulder. He, he'd give us a, a punch in the chest. And that was like, you know, good, good job. You know, that was that good old pat on the back 
but from Albert Kelly, it was, it was a punch to the chest. Um, <laughs> um, so <laughs> he was talking with the, the Rio, the weapons officer, um, commander Goodsome, And, um, he was like, so, you know, after this, this incident happened, you know, did you, did you call your kids? Did you call your wife? And he was like, yes, sir. I did. I matter of fact, as soon as, uh, as soon as I got dressed and got out of medical, I went upstairs and called, called my wife. Um, she had just put, was putting the girls down. So I got to talk to the girls right before they went to sleep. And it, for me, it was at that point that I realized that, you know, this is what I want to do. I want to save lives. Hey, this is Nicole, and I wanted to share that I'm facilitating a mini self-care retreat put on by the King County Nurses Association on October 24th called Be Here Now. It will include resources on resiliency and will practice gratitude mindfulness, and self-compassion. Plus, we'll do restorative yoga put on by the fabulous Des Wood from episode four. Go to my website, unwoundretreats.com, where you can find out more. This is a virtual event, so hopefully I'll see you there. So I started my actual research on the medical field even more so then, and that's when I knew I wanted to be a nurse. So literally you, you get to see my aha moment on when I wanted to be a nurse on the front page of the paper. I'm going to start crying. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. It's so so awesome. Um, I didn't, sorry. Um, so wait, before we go any further, um, I have to also thank you. And um, one of the things that was hard getting out of the military was uh, learning to talk about hard and tough experiences. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, for me, that, that wasn't a hard experience. It, it, was, it was adrenaline. It was, you know, we were shooting guns before that incident happened. So, you know, I was already on a, a high. Uh, but when bad things happen... And they're difficult to deal with. Uh, I, I didn't learn how to deal with those. Mm-hmm. But I would have to say you're actually one of the persons right now that actually kept me in this career field that I am right now. What? Um, so about three years ago, yeah. Um, we had training that you and I were going to go to, um, to become, uh, CPR coaches. Oh, right. I remember that day. Okay. So that night, if you remember, um, because I, I was struggling that day. Um, but the, the, that night I didn't sleep at all. Not, not a, a lick because, the day before um, was the first time that I actually did CPR on someone and they didn't make it. Oh, wait, I remember and this. I remember this. I blamed, I blamed myself for it. Oh. Because during compressions, um, he, he had, uh, this, this gentleman, he came up to, 
and and this is one again one of the other reasons why I always like hanging out around the more senior nurses because um, I know we joke about you know comic books and you know spidey fillings and all yeah. that kind of stuff. My my spider senses started tingling. Yeah, but it was the first time that I actually saw that for real. I was walking. I was just walking down the hall. New patient that came up, and usually I stop by the room and check on the nurse. Hey, you doing okay? Do you need me to get anything? Literally, Jamie, the nurse, was like, "Hey." I need you to come into this room because this guy, I don't know what's going on with him, but I don't have a good feeling about it. And if things start going south, I don't want to be by myself. So I was kind of like, uh, oh, okay. I, I mean, I'm a, I'm just a patient care technician. I don't know what I can do for you. You, you know, I'm going to stand there and rub your back. That was what <laughs> was going on in my head. Uh-huh. So then I come into the room. There's two RTs in there. They're trying to get pulse socks onto this guy. It's not working. They figure, well, maybe we'll get a, a, head, a forehead sensor going um, mm-hmm. with the Arctic Sun. That's not working because they're using the wrong cables. And then all of a sudden, his He's... heart rate, I think, just plummeted. Yeah. And so then Jamie was like, she looked at me and she was like, call stat call the charge i need them here well they were already at a previous code i think that was like outside or something like that Mm -hmm. so i called them and they were like we're on our way up right now so called 222 called a code for this particular room and all of a sudden jamie then turns to me and she's like get a stool and i was like uh, what did the guy poop? Do you, uh, I can go right. get some napkins <laughs> or something and some paper towel and we can get them cleaned up. She's like, no, get a stool. And I was like, okay. So I walked over to him and I started to move the blanket. Cause I thought we were cleaning them up and she's like, no, I need to stand on something. Like, oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. So then I run over and I grabbed the stool. She brings it over to him and she immediately jumps up and she's now starting to thump on this guy's chest. And by that time, the docs are now running in because we had already hit the code switch. Yeah. Um, the docs are running in. More nurses are running in. Jamie's sitting there trying to do compression on this guy's chest. And the only thing I can think of is, well, I can check for a pulse and just coach her on, yeah, your, your compressions are doing well. Um, and she, the whole time, she just struggled. She's like, his chest is so thick. I can't get through. But I'm like, no, you're doing well. You're doing well. I got a good pulse. She went for one minute and she was too tired. She's like, I need someone else here. So um, the next nurse jumps up and she starts pushing, but she's not going deep enough. I'm like, I don't feel it. You got to go deeper. You got to go deeper. And she's like, I can't. He's, his chest is too thick. Like swap me out. So then she goes and she's filling for um, a carotid pulse. And I get up and I'm starting to do compressions. Then it dawns on to me, this is the first time that I've ever done compressions. Yeah. And like, for me, that was like, holy cow, because everything I, before that, when I was in the military, I was teaching CPR for 10 years. The last, the last 10 years that I was in the Navy, I was teaching CPR. I was teaching both American Red Cross and American Heart. Um, and so I knew the stages, the steps, I knew everything that I go. I even knew from talking with other people on, you know, 
when you're going sometime, you're, you're going to break ribs and, and this is going to happen and that's going to happen. I knew all that, but I'd never experienced it. Mm-hmm. So now I'm sitting here doing compressions and I'm looking down at this guy and his eyes are fluttering. And then before I know it, now he's starting to move an arm and he's starting to raise his head. And so then the RT yells out, we've got movement, like stop, stop compression. So then I stop. And then now I'm going back to trying to figure out the pulse oximeter so we can get a, you know, a a good oxygen saturation on his blood. And then all of a sudden, like we're losing them, we're losing them get back into compressions. Well, I was already still kind of standing right there. So I jumped up and I went back into doing compressions that's when I heard the snaps and I could feel them mm-hmm. completely broke his, you know, his, his sternum. Now it was like mush and I could literally feel where his heart was. Mm-hmm. So I'm back into doing compressions. I, I'm off. I've got to come a little bit to the left. Yeah, I'm back. And all of this is running through my head. Uh, like, all right, we got to stay with it. He didn't move. There's no more movement. And I'm sitting there thinking, what am I doing wrong? I went too hard. I broke his chest. Um, all all what you're things supposed are going to on. do. Two minutes goes by. We swap out. They uh, they needed a. Um, they wanted to get I don't know um, uh, blood sample to check you know, what his blood sugar level was. So then I started going in and working on that. And just as I got finished with it, and to come back and give a reading uh that they'd already called the code and just like what the heck so they called they basically called the code they basically ended it right because he had had died Mm -hmm. i don't remember any more the rest of the day i don't remember any more the rest of my shift that day all i remember is when i got home i remember going to bed and laying down and the entire night, I stayed awake, re-going through everything that happened, the whole scenario, where, where did I go wrong on it? So the next day, we were doing the coaching class, and I was actually contemplating giving up my job because... Like if I, I, I obviously didn't do it right. So why am I still here? Why am I still doing this? Mm. And it was, it was at that point you had pulled me aside and you're like, you know, what happened? What's going on? So we talked. Uh, I did I never thought that any of the supervisors would ever sit down and talk with me like that or just, you know, help talk me through it. And you did. So. Oh, well, you did everything you were supposed to do that day. And I, and you did everything for him. And, and we've talked about this on the podcast as you run these algorithms, you do the, you do the things you're trained to do so that you can give someone the best chance. And I know for damn sure, if I was dying, I'd want you to slam on my chest because you would give the best fucking CPR <laughs> because you're such a pro. Um, I'm so glad you stayed with it. I, you know, it's funny. We don't know the impact we have on people sometimes. And um, I didn't know that you, I didn't know you were contemplating leaving. We all, oh my God, I'm going to start. I'm going to, I'm trying not to cry. We all love working with you so much. You bring such energy and enthusiasm. Um, 
And you're just a delight. And I know when you are, when you become a nurse, you're going to be the best nurse ever, the best ICU nurse. Um, I'm so glad you stayed in the profession. I can't believe the story that you shared with us today. And then opening up with me about this, um, that was a, you know, I remember the first time I did CPR. It's a traumatic experience. There is some PTSD that stays with you. Um, but he didn't die because you didn't do what you were supposed to do. You gave him the best shot, right? It's, he, yeah. he wasn't doing well. He wasn't, it was his time, unfortunately. And your impact on him, um, like what, you gave it your best shot. So I'm, I'm so grateful that you stayed, Gerard. We are so lucky to have you. And um, you, you, I mean, you, this guy's won awards, you know, like he's, he's, <laughs> you know, you're, you're known for just being such an awesome guy. So I just want to thank you so much for being on the show. I'm sure everybody was gripped um, by your show, by the stories that you've told. So I really appreciate it. And I love working with you. Me too. And, I love working with you as well. And you're such a joy. It's, it's, it's a pleasure. It really is. It's always a pleasure. And um, tell your family, thank you for giving you some time to sit and talk on the Found Down podcast. I'm so excited. Um, this episode, epic. Epic. <laughs> now I get to give you a hat. <laughs> yeah. You get, you get some All merch. Right. Okay. Thank you All so right. much. I hope you have the best day. This will probably come out in a few weeks. Um, you're the best. You're the best. You're absolutely no, the you best. You are too. You're too. I, I appreciate you. The fact that you're, you're doing this. Um, <clears throat> I, like I said, uh, it, it's one of the things that the military is working on is, you know, that whole PTSD, you, you, you see a lot of stuff on it and you see a lot of stuff on it with, with, when it comes to the military, but it's not just the military. It's, it's, it's the civilian life, you know, it's nurses, it's, it's, you know, firemen, it's policemen. Yes. You know, some people just even working in the office, they can experience it. And I'm glad that you, you started this show where you're allowing people to talk. And what I, what I hope comes from it is it opens people up to actually talking about more of these things that are difficult. And, you know, the, 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 the things that we go through in life so that they know that they're not the only ones. Cause like I said, th you know, that day, you know, I, I've done a lot in the military. I've been all, literally all over the world. Um, but this one instance with this guy, like in my mind, I, like I said, I felt that I did everything wrong and I was actually, I was actually going to put in my resignation letter and I don't know what it triggered, but when I, I think I triggered because I asked you a question because that night I was going through everything, what went wrong to the point to where I even remember the details on like the RT at the time for a little while there wasn't even squeezing the bag had air going to it, but wasn't even squeezing the bag. So I think I was questioning you on something like that. And you're like, well, what else happened? And then that's when I started going into it. But like, I literally had, I had already been thinking about my resignation letter and I was going to put it in later that week because uh, like I said, I, I had felt like, why am I here if I can't even save a life? 
So you have, you've done more than what you probably don't give yourself enough credit for. And I want to say, uh, I can't speak for everyone. And I hope more people come out and tell you how much you really have done and you have changed for them for the best, for the better, you know, whether it's something of just being able to listen to this podcast and hear other people talk and give them a, a, a more found or profound reason. You know what? If that person went through it. I can go through it too. I can find someone to, you know what? Matter of fact, I'll just find Nicole, Nicole. I'll go and talk to Nicole because I already know she listened to Gerard. She helped him through. She can help me through too. So if, if anyone out there is listening, you got something traumatic, or something happened and you don't know of anyone to talk to, you need a good ear. Nicole Johnson is the person you need to come in and, 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 and lay that onto because she will listen. She will hear what you're saying. She will support you. She will cry with you. She'll laugh with you. Like I said, I can't thank you enough. I would, I wouldn't be here where I am right now if, if it wasn't for you. I don't know what to say. (laughs) Thank you so much. I mean, like I could ball like a baby. Um, (laughs) um, I'm I'm totally blown away. I'm totally blown away. So thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) And I can't wait to see you on the unit. Okay. 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 Much love to you and your family. Okay. Thank you so much for this amazing show. Have a wonderful rest of your day. See you in the next one. Okay. Thanks so much for tuning in today. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave an honest review on whatever platform you are listening. Also, feel free to share this with your nursing colleagues. If you'd like to email me, you can do so at founddownpodcast at gmail.com. Feel free to send in any stories. Just make sure they're HIPAA compliant. Also, you can follow the podcast on Instagram at founddownpodcast. We'll see you on the next one.